excited about the Word of the Lord and the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. <coughs> Acts 18. Okay, look at verse... Let's look there at verse 23, Acts 18.23. Third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. We will begin that this morning. So, Acts 18, verse 23. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So this is the beginning of the third missionary journey. Uh, he had passed through Ephesus on his way back to Antioch, he was there approximately a year, and then he's starting his third missionary journey. Let's see here. I want to look at something here. Okay, verse 24 of Acts 18. A certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace." For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now, I think I'll uh, not read all of that chapter to you, but we will go through the 19th chapter as well. Please go to 1 Corinthians 16. As a background scripture here, 1 Corinthians 16. Okay, are you there in 1 Corinthians 16? Alright, look if you would please in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 16, 8. Paul says, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. So Corinthians, this letter, 1 Corinthians was written while he was in Ephesus. Okay? So he says he's going to tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. So while he is in Ephesus, this great door is opened unto him to spread the gospel, but there are many adversaries, and they're trying to close this door of the gospel that's been opened unto him. That will be the whole 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Okay? The door opened up for him to preach and then all these adversaries that he had to face uh, in order to get the gospel out. So you with me so far? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. We thank you for what you're going to do here today. We rejoice in your awesome name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> All right, third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. The Bible tells us that he is going to go back up to Ephesus. Uh, in the meantime, we have Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. And the Bible tells us they come across a man by the name of Apollos. 
But let's look up here at the map here so maybe we can get an understanding where uh, he is going to go. Third missionary journey, he's going to travel to Ephesus. You see that? No, I'm sorry. I'm going down the wrong direction. Okay, up here, Antioch, Syria. That's where the church is. That's where the Apostle Paul... Each missionary journey starts out in Antioch of Syria. And it goes from there to Derby to Lystra, to Galatia territory here. Comes down here to Ephesus. Ephesus is the center, the hub of Asia Minor. All right, you with me so far? So from there, then he's going to go to Macedonia, travel back over to Europe. We'll get to chapter 20, verse 1 probably today. But that's as far as we'll go. Antioch, he goes to Derby, Lystra, down to Ephesus. That'll be the focal point today. And then to Macedonia. All right? Two letters will be written at this time. First and second Corinthians. So keep that in your mind. While he is in Ephesus, he writes the first letter of Corinthians. And as he travels over to Macedonia in the 20th chapter, he will send second Corinthians. So if you want to write that in your Bible, you can. Okay, let's look at the Word of the Lord today. We're going to see a lot in the Word of God. Okay, the Bible tells us here, just in a background, as the Apostle Paul is preparing to go over to Ephesus. Ephesus. Remember, the Lord forbade him to go to Ephesus the first time he wanted to go, but now Ephesus is ready for the Gospel. So God is opening the door for Ephesus now. And the Scripture tells us, though, in the meantime, as the Apostle Paul is preparing to go to Ephesus that Aquila and Priscilla, whom Paul met in Corinth, who are now with him in the gospel, has stayed there in Ephesus. In verse 24, the Bible tells us that there is a certain Jew named Apollos. He's born in Alexandria. So he is a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt. Okay? Now what you have to keep in mind at this point, is that up there in Alexandria, Egypt, there has been a tremendous influx of Greek philosophy with Jewish Scripture of the Old Testament, and they've mixed the Old Testament Scriptures with Greek philosophy, and they're changing the way you interpret the Bible in Alexandria, Egypt. Some of y'all who were in the, uh, the classes we were teaching over here on hermeneutics, you understand what I'm talking about. And so this man comes from that part of the world where you have Greek philosophy and the Old Testament Jewish Scriptures being mixed together and being taught. And, and there's false interpretations that are coming. But this man, Apollos, is not a man who is influenced by Greek philosophy. This man, even though he is coming from Alexandria, Egypt, and he is a Jew, this man, the Bible tells us, is mighty in the Scriptures. That means the Old Testament Scriptures. Because at this point, we don't have the New Testament. So he's mighty in the Scriptures. That doesn't mean that he just knows them. It doesn't mean that he's just read them. It means that he has a gift when it comes to the Word of God to understand it. He has the ability to master what he's reading. Does that make sense? Now what you need to see here is this, that this man Apollos at the beginning of this, is not a believer in Christ. He's not even a Christian. He's not filled with the Holy Ghost. He's not baptized in Jesus' name. He's not even saved. So what he knows is, he knows that Old Testament, 
And he does know about the baptism of John. But he's not a born-again believer. That means he doesn't have the gift of the Spirit operating in him, the gift of teaching. So then where does he get this gift, this ability to be mighty in the Scriptures? Are y'all with me so far? You look at me like you're lost. Look at the Bible with me, please. Verse 24, A certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man. Say, eloquent man. He had the ability to speak. Not only is he an eloquent man, but he's what? Mighty in the Scriptures. Where does he get this ability to be mighty in the Scriptures when he doesn't even have the Holy Ghost? How is it this man, when he can go to the Old Testament Bible, and when he reads it, he can master it? He doesn't just know what's in it. He didn't just read the Bible. But when he read the Bible, he had the ability as he looked at it to understand it and to master what it was saying. You catch that? And he doesn't even have the Holy Ghost. That means that God, when this man was born, gave this man some natural ability. Do you understand that? See, there are people in the world today that are not saved, they're not filled with the Holy Ghost, they're not born again, they're not Christians, but they have natural abilities that they were born with. You know what I'm saying? Like some athletes, they just, they're natural. They were born with gifts from God, naturally speaking. And so when Apollos, this Alexandrian Jew, read that Old Testament, he had the ability to master what it meant. And he didn't even have the Holy Ghost. Not all men are created equal. I know you've heard that statement before, that all men are created equal. That is not true. All men are not created equal. This man was born with a natural ability to go to the Word of God and to not only read it and know what it was, what was in it, but he had the ability to understand what it meant and master what it meant. So he was mighty in the scriptures. He, are y'all with me right now? Now, I, listen, I've rubbed shoulders with men in my life that, and, and these men I'm talking about were born again believers, okay? Men of God, preachers, teachers. Uh, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Their ability to understand the Scriptures and to preach and teach the Scriptures were just phenomenal. It just it blew my mind when I listened listen to them speak. And you hear somebody else speak and they're not at that same level. Well, not all men are created equal. You give the same man the same study materials, you give him a Bible, you give him the same study materials, you give each person to have, say, five, a couple of men sitting here. I'm trying to get my thought here. You give this man same Bible, same study materials. You give the, another man sitting beside him same Bible, same study materials. And then tell them to stand up and teach the Word of God. And not uh, those men are not going to be the same in their ability or their level. Even though you gave them the same materials to study, they're not the same in ability. Do you understand what I'm telling you? See, some people think, well, I can just learn all of the, the laws of hermeneutics and I can learn how to interpret the Bible and, you know, then I can really, really teach on a high level. Well, it will help you, but doesn't mean you'll be at a high level. 
because not everybody is created the same. Okay? And you can give assignments to some people, you know, and I know Brother Timothy, you know, as a teacher, you give an assignment to somebody at your school, right? And they can just whip it out, no problem. And then you give the same assignment and you're the same teacher for this, you know, these people out there and you give them the assignment and they struggle, struggle, struggle. Am I right? So not everybody's created with the same abilities, IQs, etc. You know, or even drive, motivation, desire, intellect. Not everybody's the same. Amen. And I can tell you, even when we started that little class out there, I'd give assignments to people and, you know, I have some people that were on top of it, man. I mean, they had their lessons together and they were done right and everything was in order and, you know, you could just tell that they were at a certain level. And then other ones, they barely even, you know, got any of the assignments done at all. And the ones they did get done, you know, they were kind of, you know what I'm saying. Not everybody is created the same. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that they can't uh, do something better than you in a different field. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Oh boy, I'm going to have a challenge this morning. There are some things that you can do a lot better than I can do. You get that? Why? Because you were born with a certain ability and gift from God that enables you to do that. So just because, you know, you can't do something somebody else can can do doesn't mean that you're not gifted in a different area that they aren't. Amen. 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 And I know you don't like that, but I'm just going to... You don't like anything I say. So I'm tired of trying to, you know, make you like anything I say. You don't like anything I say. So I'm just going to say it out there and I'm going to let you whatever. But that's just the way it is. And this man, Apollos, was on a higher level. This man could take you to the stars when you heard him speak, even without the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Bible says he was eloquent without the Holy Ghost. And I will say this, very rarely does, ever, does God ever call a man to preach who does not have some ability to speak. Okay? That's just the way it is. All right? This man, naturally, when he spoke, this guy could talk. He had the ability. He had oratory ability. Y'all with me today? I mean, you can hear people on the news. They're not born-again believers, but they have oratory skill, oratory ability. And so this is what we have in Apollos, a natural ability, a natural gift from God from birth that gave him the ability to speak not only just to speak, to take you to the heavens. He'd take you to the stars, man. Okay? That's without even being born again. And he was mighty in the Scriptures. That means he mastered the Old Testament. Wow. And then the Bible says he was fervent in the Spirit. That means he was on fire without even being born again, without even being saved. He was on fire knowing what he knew. He knew that Old Testament. He knew the baptism of John. And what he did know, he was on fire. Evidently, somebody that he listened to speak 
according, you with me so far? Not only to his natural ability, but Paul probably some people that influenced his life, he saw in them a fire when they spoke. And so that fire he saw in other people, he had within him. He heard about John the Baptist all the way up in Alexandria, Egypt. John the Baptist was not just known in Jordan. He was not just known around Jerusalem. John the Baptist was known all the way to Egypt. John the Baptist had an influence that reached the world of his day. He wasn't just known in Jerusalem. He was known worldwide. So that Apollos, he knew the Old Testament. He knew John, John's ministry. Okay? But that's all he knew. He didn't know that Jesus had died on the cross. He didn't know that Jesus had risen from the dead. He didn't know that the Holy Ghost had been poured out yet. But he was on fire for what he did know. And what he did know, he preached with zeal, he preached with fire, he preached with eloquence, and he was able to master that Old Testament. Are y'all with me so far? That's the kind of man he was. Yeah, good. So he makes his way to where? Ephesus. God is in that. God brings this man from Egypt down to Ephesus, Asia Minor, correct? Okay? Something's being set up here. And the Bible says, he's, what is he doing? He's standing up in the synagogue. He's expounding that Old Testament. He's eloquently speaking. He's on fire when he speaks. And who is in the synagogue that day? Aquila and Priscilla. Now, Priscilla is the woman. Aquila is the man. Correct? Okay, well, you're doing good. I know that's kind of confusing. Amen. But they're sitting there in the synagogue and they hear Apollos when he stands up and he starts speaking that Old Testament. He starts preaching that Old Testament. He's eloquent, he's fervent, he's on fire when he's speaking that Old Testament. And Priscilla and Aquila are in the congregation. And Aquila and Priscilla are baptized in Jesus' name and are filled with the Holy Ghost and have better understanding than he does at this point. And so as they begin to hear this eloquent preacher that could take you to the stars, preaching with fire and fervency and mastering of the Old Testament Scripture, wow, they look at each other. They say, we got somebody here we need to talk to. Because he only knows the baptism of John. Which was a baptism unto repentance, correct? So look at verse 25. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord, right? Not philosophy. The way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And the baptism of John was not Christian baptism. The baptism of John was before Jesus' death on the cross. The baptism of John was a baptism unto repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on 
him which would come after John. John is telling them, you need to believe on Jesus, the Messiah that's coming after me. And I'm going to baptize you. And this baptism is a baptism of repentance. And it's, it's, leading, it's preparing your heart for the coming of the Messiah. You understand? But it is not Christian baptism. Wow. And nothing was said over the person that was baptized by John. If he said anything, he would have said, I baptize you into repentance. That's it. If he said anything. He didn't baptize in any name. John didn't. There was no name called over them in baptism. It was a baptism unto repentance. And it was pre-cross. It was pre-death of Jesus. Okay? And so this is what Apollos knew. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the baptism of John. It doesn't say that he was baptized of John. It just says he knew the baptism of John. Well, most likely he was baptized according to the way John baptized, but it doesn't say he was baptized by John. But I think we can say that he was a disciple of John the Baptist. Apollos was a disciple of John the Baptist, okay? And he knew the baptism of John. He knew that Old Testament. He was uh, excited. He was on fire for what he didn't know. And as he begins to preach, Aquila and Priscilla hear him speak. And the Bible says in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So now, now you, I've got proof. I'm, I'm in the Bible. I'm telling you that he was in the synagogue preaching. And the Bible says he began to uh, speak boldly in the synagogue. Say boldly. There was no intimidation about the man. He wasn't shy about what he was saying. He boldly, he was on fire. He was eloquent. He was mighty in the Scripture. He had a knowledge of the Bible, but not just a knowledge of the Bible. He mastered it. He knew John the Baptist's ministry. And here he is. He's standing up and he's preaching with all this fire and all this zeal and all this eloquence and all of this mastery. It's flowing out of him in this synagogue, right? And the Bible tells us, as he's speaking boldly in the synagogue, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Wow. So not only is this man a master of the Scripture, eloquent in speech and on fire in his teaching, knowing the Old Testament and knows the baptism of John, this man is a man that when somebody knows more than he does... He's willing to listen to them even though they were sitting in the congregation. Say praise the Lord. Because that's the kind of man he was. He was a learner. He was open. He was willing. He had a heart to, to know the Word of God. He wasn't this kind of person. Well, I know everything. You know. He wasn't like the Athenians we preached about last week. They know everything, you know. So they're the hardest ones to reach, the ones that know everything. He wasn't like that. But look at the credentials that our Bible says he had. But yet when these two, Aquila and Priscilla, the disciples of Paul, Jesus ultimately, they say, we got to talk to this man. we got to show him the way of God more perfectly because all he knows is that Old Testament, which is good. And all he knows is John the Baptist's ministry. But he doesn't know that Jesus has died. He doesn't know that Jesus has risen from the dead. He doesn't know that the Holy Ghost has been poured out. He doesn't know that we're in the New Testament uh, church now. He doesn't know these things. And we do. Amen. Amen. 
So we've got to take this man aside and we've got to bring him up to date. And that's what Aquila and Priscilla did. Say praise the Lord. So they took him aside, showed him the way of God more perfectly. Well, yeah, that, that we know what that's going to in, include. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost has been poured out. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You know the baptism of John, correct? We know what all that includes. Showed him the way of God more perfectly. Now, look at verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him who when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace. So he leaves Ephesus after being showed the way of God more perfectly and he goes over to Corinth. And when he gets to Corinth, you know, well, you got to have the Holy Ghost if you're going to preach in Corinth. You just do, alright? And... uh Number one, because they believe in the gifts of the Spirit and they believe in the Holy Ghost and they've been baptized in Jesus' name themselves. So when you go there, you better have it together. You better be baptized in Jesus' name. You better be filled with the Holy Ghost. You better believe in the gifts of the Spirit, you know. You better have the truth or they're not going to listen to you. So he goes over to Corinth from Ephesus and he starts preaching there in Corinth. And I'm telling you, he took them to the heavens. He took them to the stars. If he was eloquent before, he was more eloquent afterward. If he was mighty in the scriptures before, he was mighty in the scripture, mightier now in the scriptures than he was before. If he had oratory ability before, he's got greater oratory ability now. And he is so awesome in God that they basically say, okay, you remember these divisions in Corinth? I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm Peter. And then said, then some said, I'm just of Jesus. You remember those divisions? If you know anything about your Bible, right? Well, somebody, you know, one little group said, we're of Apollos, you know. And then another group in the church said, no, we're of Paul. Then another group, no, we're of Peter. And then another group, no, we're just of Jesus. We don't have preacher religion, we're just of Jesus. Yeah, okay. Good. <clears throat> You know, they're like little kids, little, little fighting kids in the nursery. So anyway, to make a long story short, when Paul, Apollos went down the corner and started preaching to them, that there was a group in the church that said, we're going to be his disciples. And so we have a little sect of people called the sect that follows Apollos' ministry. Right. Okay, Because he's the one that can take you to the heavens, man. He can take you to the stars when he preaches, you know. Okay. No, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not kidding you. And so divisions came into the church of Corinth. And eventually, Apollos had to leave Corinth over that whole mess. He had to leave because they were all these divisions that were in that church, you know. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of, of Peter. I'm of Jesus. You know, that mess that was there. Apollos helped them, though, the Bible says, helped them. Help them mightily. So he did some good there, but he eventually had to leave. But they, he ended up in Corinth. So praise the Lord. And it is possible that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm not really sure. Nobody's really sure, but it is possible. Okay? Now the Bible goes on and tells us, let me read verse 27, and he was disposed to pass into Achaia. The brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, say helped them much, which had believed through grace. So when he went over to Corinth and he'd preached to them, he helped them much. Isn't that beautiful? 
Okay? Verse 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Or that Jesus was the Christ. He took that Old Testament that he had mastered, and he says, all right, Jesus fulfills this. You understand? He's got the truth now. Chapter 19, let's go on. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at where? Corinth. The Bible says, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So now, Apollos is over in Corinth as I've told you and Paul is making his way into Ephesus on this uh, third missionary journey. You with me so far? Okay, right there. Now originally, God had forbidden him to go over into Ephesus, but as I said, Ephesus is ready for the gospel. So Paul has made his way over there in Ephesus, and in Ephesus he will be there over two years, and this will be uh, the biggest revival in Paul's ministry that will take place. It will take place in Ephesus. Now, you'll remember the book of Revelation. John writes to the church of Ephesus. How many of remember that? He writes to the church of Ephesus. So Ephesus is a, is a big, big church. And it's, it's, a, it's a major work of God. Amen. Okay, so anyway, the Apostle Paul shows up in Ephesus. And what happens? Verse 1. Finding certain disciples. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? 16. A great door of effectual is opened unto me, but... There are many adversaries. The first adversary he faces is an incomplete gospel. Alright? Now, if you don't get it after I get through preaching this morning about what it takes to be in the church, if you don't get it after I preach to you this morning about what the church expected a believer to consist of, you never will. Okay? We've gone through Acts 2, we've gone through Acts 8, we've gone through Acts 10, and I've showed you in Acts 2 the Jews, I've showed you in Acts 8 the Samaritans, I've showed you in Acts chapter 10 the Gentiles, what it took to come into the church and to be a born-again believer in the New Testament church. And now we come to Acts 19 and we find people who are incomplete. And we will find in this passage what the church expected to see in a New Testament believer. What the requirements were. We'll see it all over again. So if we don't get it, and I'm talking to maybe one or two here today, if you don't get it now, you never will. Okay? Are y'all with me so far? What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you that you will have a tendency to flow back into your old denominal system. You will have a tendency to want to go back to your Trinitarian church. You'll have a tendency maybe to go back to your charismatol if you don't hear what I'm telling you today. And the reason why you'll have a tendency to want to go back to your old church, your old denominational system, is because you believe that all it takes is for somebody to accept Jesus as their Savior. And in your mind, that's the requirement to, to be in the New Testament church. And because you believe that then you'll have a, a tendency to flow that direction. But I'm going to show you what the Bible says Amen. once again. Okay? Incomplete gospel. This was a door. Uh, this was an adversary trying to shut the door there in Ephesus. 
Let's look at it. Verse 1. Came to pass, are you all with me in your Bible? Came, thank you. Came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through Upper Coast, the Upper Coast came to Ephesus, and finding certain, what? Disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Wow. Why would Paul ask that question? Yeah, it's important. That's absolutely correct. But there's something about these people. When Paul comes across them, he knows there's something deficient about them. He notices that there's something incomplete about them. They're not talking like a New Testament believer. They're not talking like a New Testament believer. They're not acting like a New Testament believer. They're not walking like a New Testament believer. And he discerns real quickly that there's something incomplete about these people. Did you catch that? Woo! Help me today, Jesus. You will come across people like that who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, who claim to be disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you know in your spirit that there's something incomplete about them. There's something lacking, something deficient about them. And so when the Apostle Paul comes to these believers, disciples, the Bible says, in Ephesus, he discerns there's something missing here with these people. And so he asked the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Which means when you believe correctly, you do receive the Holy Ghost. Did you catch that? A true believer receives the Holy Ghost. To believe, to believe in Jesus Christ means that you have received the Holy Ghost. Because believing and receiving the Holy Ghost go together. So have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And next question, unto then what were you baptized? Well, let me go on and read it because there's some communication here. Verse 2, he said unto them, I'm in Acts 19 verse 2. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They're like Apollos. They knew about John's baptism. But they, like Apollos, had not heard that the Holy Ghost had come yet. Now you remember John the Baptist when he preached. He preached. He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one that's coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So John had been preaching and telling everybody that the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out. So it wasn't that these people had not heard that the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out. They knew by John's ministry the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out, but they did not know if the Holy Ghost had been poured out as of yet. You get that? Say, praise the Lord. Okay, verse 2, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto Him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. It wasn't that they hadn't heard that the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out. It's that they hadn't heard that it had been poured out. 
Do you understand that? Yes, sir. Okay. Are y'all with me? Amen. So they, like Apollos, are not Christians. These people, like Apollos, are not even saved. Like Apollos, they have to be up to, brought up to date. Say amen. Okay, praise the Lord. I want you to get that. Alright, so they haven't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Verse 3. He said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? Watch this. I want you to catch this. Why did he ask them? They said, well, we haven't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said, under then what were you baptized? Why did he ask them that question? Because in that New Testament church, everybody that was baptized in Jesus' name were filled with the Spirit. Were filled with the Holy Ghost. And if these people weren't filled with the Holy Ghost, Paul knew there must be something wrong with their baptism. Did you catch that? Wow! So if they were baptized right, if they were baptized in Jesus' name, then we know they would have the Holy Ghost. But because they don't have the Holy Ghost, there must be something wrong with their baptism because in their baptism, if it was correct, everybody gets the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues that's baptized in Jesus' name. So there must be something wrong with their baptism. So he goes to that question, until then what were you baptized? must be something wrong with your baptism if you don't have the Holy Ghost. Okay, say amen. amen. Verse 3, Under what then were you baptized? They said under John's baptism. Right? They were baptized under John's baptism. They were water baptized under John's baptism, but it wasn't in the name of Jesus. It wasn't Christian baptism. Well, you know, if uh, they were living in the age that we're in today, uh, the people, religious people would say, well, it doesn't matter how you baptize, just as long as you're baptized. Right, right, right. So don't worry about it. Right, right, right. That's a lie. Right. Amen. You were baptized under John's baptism? Okay. Paul explains that baptism. Then said Paul, verse 4, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people they should believe on Him which should come after Him that is on Christ Jesus. Right? Watch this. So at one point, Apollos was up to date. Correct? But then at one point he becomes out of date. Same thing with these people here. At one point they were up to date because they had obeyed everything that God had revealed to them as far as truth is concerned. But they weren't baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. That means they're not saved. Did you catch that? Okay, here we go. You got your Bibles open. Please read with me. Okay. Then said Paul, John really baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus. 
They were already baptized, but because it wasn't in the name of the Lord Jesus, they are rebaptized. Say praise the Lord. Now I could relate to this because I was sprinkled in the titles. And then when I found out about baptism in Jesus' name, I said, I haven't done that. And I did it. And when I got baptized in Jesus' name, guess what happened to me? I got filled with the Holy Ghost after I was baptized in Jesus' name. So we have clear-cut teaching from that early church as to what they expected a believer to consist of. And that is, a believer would be baptized in Jesus' name, and having been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins, they would have been plunged into the Messianic kingdom, having received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was one event. It's clear-cut teaching as to what that early church expected everybody to experience in order to be in that church. No exceptions. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So I want you to notice something here. First obstacle is an incomplete gospel. And you're going to run across people, and I run across them all the time, and they love God. We're not disputing the fact that we love God. Oh, good, I'm glad you love God. And, and we go to church all the time. I'm glad you go to church. And we read our Bibles. I'm glad you read your Bibles. Understand? But have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And unto what then were you baptized? How were you baptized? That's what you have to ask people who say, I love God, who read the Bible. Oh, come on, somebody. This is what the Bible says is required. This is the, this is what the early church expected a true believer to be. Do you get it? Are you out there? I'm telling you, if you don't get it after I say this and preach this this morning, you never will. You will be a charismatic until you die. Because you'll go around thinking that everybody's saved that claims to be a believer. Watch this. Say praise the Lord. When they find, when Paul finds out, help me God. When Paul finds out they don't have the Holy Ghost, they know the baptism of John. Alright? They came to be, they claim to be believers. What does he do? Does he take him into the back and say, okay, let me show you how to speak in tongues? You, you, you see what I'm trying to show you here? He doesn't bring them into the back room and instruct them on how to speak in tongues. He doesn't even instruct them on how to get the Holy Ghost. Because He knows if they get baptized in Jesus' name, they will get the Holy Ghost. And so because their baptism is incorrect, get that right, and they'll automatically get the Holy Ghost. Do you see what I'm saying? But you, you want to grab them in the, you know, by the arm and drag them into the office and teach them how to speak in tongues. And hit him under the chin. No. <clears throat> Paul understood 
what believing is. He said, okay, I'm going to preach Jesus to you. I'll preach Jesus Christ to you. I'll preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will bring you up to date. You were in date at one time, but now you're out of date. Because Jesus has died. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has poured out His Spirit. It's time for you to be baptized in Jesus' name. It's now Christian baptism. And your sins are remitted now. So you were in transition. At one time you were walking in all the truth that you had. Now you have to be brought up to date. And they were. So they were in date at one time. Then they became out of date. And now they're up to date. You understand what I'm telling you? Some of you ought to be really thankful. Because you were in this group just like me. Did you call me Lester? Oh, you said, that's true. Oh, Pastor. Oh, Lester. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Oh, hallelujah. Do you understand? Okay. So to believe is not just accepting Jesus as your Savior. To believe means baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. That puts you in the church. Now you know what constitutes a New Testament believer. Anything short of that, anything less of that, must be brought up to date. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So the first obstacle that has to be overcome is this incomplete gospel that these people are walking in. And we're faced by that in America an incomplete gospel that is being preached to people as they go to church today, we are, it is an obstacle. Because many of the people say, well, I'm a believer. I don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. I don't have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not what Paul said. It must have been important enough for him to ask, how were you baptized? And it must have been important enough for them to be rebaptized in what? Jesus' name. What was lacking in John's baptism was the name of Jesus, not water. John the Baptist had water. Water wasn't missing in John's baptism. What was missing was the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew in that early church, once you get them baptized in Jesus' name, they're going to come out of the water speaking in other tongues. And if they don't, there's something wrong. And we got to get this corrected. And we've been through that before in, in Acts chapter 8. Say praise the Lord. So now are you clear? Are you clear? If you're clear, lift your hand. And I know some are not going to lift your hand. You die and go to hell if you want to. I'm not. Your blood be on your own heads. But I'm telling you the Word of God. Say amen. Now, well, you're saying everybody else is going to hell? I'm going to let God judge that. I'll let God determine who He puts in heaven and who He puts in hell. But I'm going to preach the Bible to you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Aren't you glad that you are a real New Testament believer? (laughs) 
you got you got what it takes. You're in the Bible. You're a biblical believer. Hallelujah. You're not a believer based on what somebody writ, you know, in a book, some denominational system that came up with an alternative method of salvation. You are in the Bible and you ought to thank God today that you are a New Testament believer. And that your experience lines up with the Bible. Your experience lines up with what that New Testament church expected of every person in that church. And I will tell you, that once they heard this message, if they rejected it, they are lost. That's just it, that's it man. That's it. If they rejected it, say amen. amen. Alright, so we got this incomplete gospel now corrected. And so Paul, uh, in verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, oh, the Holy Ghost came on them. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues. Right? Magnifying God. Say Amen. Alright, here we go. Okay, here we go. Let me get back up. Verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. They speak with tongues, and they begin to prophesy. They begin to declare the wonderful works of God. Say twelve. This revival starts out with twelve people. Say praise the Lord. Twelve people speaking in tongues, prophesying, declaring the wonderful works of God Almighty. They are in the church now. They're born again believers. They are saved. They are up to par. They're up to standard. They're up to date. And so that obstacle that's trying to close the door to the gospel, number one, incomplete gospel, is no longer incomplete gospel. Give the Lord praise in the house. <laughs> and from, Okay, so is that clear to you? Do you know what it takes to be a New Testament believer? I said a New Testament believer. I didn't ask you what it takes to be, become a part of a denomination. Do you know what it takes to become a New Testament believer? Do you know what that early church, the apostles expected to see in a believer? And when Paul came across these twelve, he said, there's something missing in your life. Got to get you up to date. Okay, praise the Lord. Now, now I, you know, I know you believe it, but are you going to go out there and, and preach it? Good. It's going to be an obstacle that we have to overcome. How many of y'all are thankful today for the truth that you have? So from there... Paul, he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. As the matter of Paul is, he goes to the synagogue and preaches there in the synagogue like Paulus was, you know. <clears throat> but when, you can basically say he went into the church and preached the truth to them. Say amen. amen. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them 
and separated the disciples disputing daily in the, sa- the school of one Tyrannus. Second obstacle is we have now, we have Jewish people in the synagogue that are blaspheming the name of Jesus. Are y'all here right now? I know it's not worded that way, but that's what's going on here. The Bible tells us they are speaking evil of that way. Evil, to speak evil of that way is blasphemy. Say amen. That's what the definition of blasphemy is. To speak evil of the way. So this is what they're doing. So second obstacle is the Jewish unbelievers, those who refuse to hear the gospel, who are blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ. And many of them still do that today. Let's go on down. The Bible tells us he leaves from the uh, synagogue and he goes over to the school of Tyrannus. Say Tyrannus. Over there in the school of Tyrannus. There he will be there for two years in Tyrannus. Day after day after day after day. Teaching people the Word of God. Teaching them the truth in the school of Tyrannus. Okay, now I want you to see something. This is powerful. He continued by the space of two years, verse 10, so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. This revival spread from 12 people. It went to the synagogue where it was rejected. Second obstacle. It went to the school of Tyrannus. And while he was teaching in the school of Tyrannus, all of Asia heard the word. There was such a revival that hit Asia that all of Asia heard the Word. Who are we talking about? We're talking about churches like, and it's not on this particular map, but you're talking about the churches in the book of Revelation. The church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamos, the church of Thyatira, the church, come on somebody, the church of Laodicea, the church of Areopolis. Come on, give God praise in the house. The church of Colossae, Philemon, and Epaphroditus go to where Paul's teaching in the school of Tyrannus. And they go from there to Colossae and start a church. People begin to come from all over that part of the world and to hear the apostle Paul teach in the school of Tyrannus so that the seven churches of Asia Minor came as a result of that revival. All of Asia heard the word. If you ever wonder, where do these churches of, of the book of Revelation come into the kingdom? They came into the kingdom at this time right here. And it started with 12 believers. It was a powerful, powerful move of God. So we have this one come from, well, I don't know if we can see that, but he's got it, got some, I can point them out to you here. Uh, there's Pergamos, there's Thyatira. The Church of Philadelphia, Ephesus, we got Colossae here, we got Smyrna here, you know. This is what he's talking about, praise the Lord. Amen, isn't that awesome? These churches coming in to the kingdom of God. Now how did that, well, Paul didn't travel around as far as I know from Ephesus. Men came from these places, heard Paul teach, and went back to their cities and started churches in those cities. Like Epaphrodites and Philemon heard Paul preach here in the school of Tyrannus and went back and started the church in Colossae. Give the Lord some praise in the house. So all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
Come on. It just started with 12 believers. Let me tell you something, friend. I got a big vision. And I pray that you got a big vision. I believe that this little church right here can impact the world with the gospel. Why not? You got the same Holy Ghost. You got the same message the apostles preached. Why can't we impact the world? Why can't there be people come here, hear the word of God, and go and start churches in other places all over? Why not? And why not just in America? Why not churches started in the foreign field? Right out of this house. Give the Lord praise. No wonder Paul said, a great door of effectual is opened unto me, but there are many adversaries they are trying to close the door. The Jews were trying to close the door. They couldn't close the door. An incomplete gospel couldn't close the door. The whole world in Asia Minor heard the word of God. Give the Lord praise in the house. Now verse 11. And God wrought special miracles. Say special miracles. By the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Say special miracles. Why? Because there were special obstacles there. That city of Ephesus was filled with demons. It was filled with the evil of the underworld. Demonic spirits all over the place. Magic in Ephesus all over the place. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But the occult was rampant in Ephesus. And demonic spirits rampant in Ephesus. Say praise the Lord. In fact, it was so occultic that you could go to Ephesus and and buy what was called the Ephesian letters. Say amen. Amen. Um, let me make sure I got that right. Yeah, yeah, Ephesian letters. That's where we are in Ephesus. Hallelujah. Ephesian letters. And you, these letters you would buy were uh, pieces of paper that had letters written on those papers. And these letters were incantations. And you would carry these incantations on your body so that you would be protected from evil spirits. Magic everywhere. Ephesian letters everywhere. You could buy little shrines of the temple that was built to the goddess Diana. And on that temple was inscribed letters of incantation. You could buy little icons of Diana. You could buy these little statues of Diana that had uh, letters inscribed upon her that were incantation letters. This place was filled with superstition and demonic activity and Satanism and and all kinds of, of letters and all kinds of superstitious things. And so now, because of this kind of environment, God does special miracles from the hands of Paul. Give the Lord praise. So that from Him, from His body, were uh, taken aprons and and uh, sweat cloths. 
And the Bible says people, when they got the sweat cloths, uh, were delivered of demonic spirits and healed of diseases when they touched the sweat cloths of the Apostle Paul. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, there was such a powerful move of God's Spirit. There was so much of the Holy Ghost in Ephesus that even the aprons the Apostle Paul worked with and the sweat cloths that he had was so anointed that when people received and they were healed of disease and demon spirits would leave their bodies as a result. It wasn't the aprons or the sweat cloths the handkerchiefs that did it it was the anointing of God that was it but it was a special miracle it only happened this one time in the Bible it never happened again only this one time in the Bible it's not like today and I'm sure you know uh, well I don't know I started to say I'm sure some of you sent an offering to a radio preacher or you know a television preacher and and uh, they said, well, we'll send you our anointed handkerchief and yeah. we'll send you an anointed Kleenex. And, and, and so you sent your big offering to the, to the man and, and you waited and you waited and you waited and I just can't wait to get my anointed handkerchief or my anointed Kleenex. And when I do, I know I'm going to be healed. Yeah. And you got your anointed handkerchief or your anointed Kleenex and you're still just as sick as you were before. Amen. Say praise the Lord. The Bible does not set this up as a pattern for us to follow. Well, Pastor, would would you do me a favor? Would you anoint this handkerchief here uh, with oil, and I'm going to take it back to my sick, you know, whoever. Uh, well, only if God leads me to do that. But I don't have Bible to do it. That's right. That's right. Amen. Yes, sir. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You don't have Bible for anointing cloths and sending it to the sick. Because this wasn't an anointed cloth. This was Paul's sweat cloths. He didn't anoint his sweat cloths. He said, I don't have time to go pray for the sick. Here, take my sweat cloth. He didn't anoint those cloths. Why y'all looking at me like this? How many of y'all ever been in a church and we're going to anoint a cloth for somebody today or a handkerchief day and we're going to send it to them? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we've done it here, or, or maybe you've seen it done somewhere else, and, and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just telling you, you don't have Bible for it. Because they didn't anoint the cloths. They were his sweat cloths. Maybe he did this to it before he sent it. Like I heard one preacher say, he said, you know, he said, you could get these cloths anointed with King Solomon's oil. <laughs> well, why would you want a cloth that is anointed with King Solomon's oil? Well, it's supposed to make you potent like King Solomon. And if your husband's not potent, send us an offering. And we'll send you a handkerchief with King Solomon's oil on it. And you can slide it under the pillow of your husband. It'll make him more potent like Solomon. The American church is the most gullible people there are in the world. Say amen. Amen. 
So what I'm trying to show you, special miracles. This was a one-time event. It, never in the Bible do you ever see it happen again, nor do we see it laid out in Scripture as something the church is to practice. Now, if God, God can do whatever He wants to do. If he, if he tells us to anoint with oil and we do it that way, then fine, right? But you're not going to make God into the genie in the body bottle that you can rub anytime you want to. You can't make God, in, you can't make Him like a rabbit's foot. Hallelujah to the Lamb. God doesn't work with magic. But because there was magic in Ephesus, because there were the incantation letters of Ephesus and all kinds of strange things there, God said, you know what? We'll do it this one time. And let Paul send out his sweat cloths, just like that, not anointed. And the Bible says as soon as those sweat cloths went out, people were healed of their diseases and spirits went out of them. So the obstacle, next obstacle, that, had, that obstacle is trying to shut the door to the gospel that he wrote about in 1 Corinthians 16 is demonic spirits that infiltrated that world. The occult everywhere trying to shut that door. Invisible spirits trying to shut that door. And God said, alright, I can just use my servant's wet cloth to deal with them. All you Ephesians, whoa, look at this supernatural power of these demons. And demons do work miracles, by the way. And so they get sucked into by the miracle-working power of demons. They get sucked into the occult. And God said, oh, that's nothing. That is nothing. I can send a sweat cloth from my servant and send them out. Give the Lord praise in the house. Special miracles. So don't come up to me and say, Pastor, would you anoint my Kleenex? Because I'm going to put it under the bed, the pillow of my husband. He's been, cre- he's been giving me problems all month. We'll just anoint this. I'm going to slide it. He won't even know it's there. I'm going to slide it under his pillow. Hallelujah. And no, I'm not anointing your stinking Kleenex. Well... Hallelujah. Send an offering to the radio preacher. <laughs> Say amen. amen. So these obstacles, these obstacles of demonic spirits are overcome now by the sweat cloth. Super, but it's the Spirit of God that's doing it. It's not the cloth. It's the Spirit of God that's doing it. Say praise the Lord. Yeah, feel the Holy Ghost now. Now the Bible then goes on. Now the next obstacle, we got some, we got some phonies. We've got some imposters that are going to come on the scene. Next obstacle, imposters. The Bible tells us then certain of the vagabond Jews, say vagabond Jews, exorcist. You got so many demons in Ephesus. You know, now these people, these Jews, Jewish exorcists have set up their occupation in Ephesus. For money to cast out these demons. Okay? So these Jewish exorcists that lived there in Ephesus, the Bible tells us, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Yeah. Saying, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. Are y'all awake? Say, wow, we got a new tool to add to our business. We, they evidently saw spirits cast out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they wanted to add this new tool to their business of exorcism. So the Bible says they came across, these imposters came across some that had, or a man that had a demonic spirit. Go with me so far. They said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and a chief of the priests which did so. Say seven sons of Sceva. They're trying to cast the spirit out of this person, right? The seven sons of Sceva. And the Bible says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. Now listen to what I'm telling you. The man, that the, the person that's speaking here that has the demon in him, that has the spirit in him, when this word comes out of his mouth, it is the evil spirit speaking out of his mouth. The evil spirit saying, Jesus, we know. Did you catch that? Look at this. Verse 14, there were seven sons of Sceva, Jew, and the chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. Who said it? The evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. Said The evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I'm acquainted with. See, they knew, these evil spirits knew Jesus. And they were acquainted with Paul, the servant of Jesus. Did you catch that? They were known in hell. You hear what I'm telling you? See, Jesus is known in hell. The apostle Paul is known in hell. I want, listen, hold on. I don't want to be just known in heaven. I want to be known in hell. That doesn't mean I want to go there, but I want the demon spirits, I want them to know me. Hallelujah to the Lamb. They said, Jesus, he said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? See, there's some people that God doesn't know, and there's some people that even the devil don't know. Say, praise the Lord. God don't know them. The devil don't know them. Nobody else knows them. But they're out there in the name of, casting out in the name of Jesus. You know. Oh, are y'all catching this? The devil don't know them. God don't know them. The devil knows Jesus. He knows the apostle Paul. Correct. But he does not know these imposters. Okay. So they're trying to cast this spirit out proxy. <laughs> Y'all with me? We adjure, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. You understand? 
And there were seven sons, one of Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overcame them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. The man that had that devil just jumped on them, ripped their clothes off, tore them up, wounded them, they went running out of the house. When Paul said in the name of Jesus, come out, those spirits came out. When these imposters used the name of Jesus, it was still the same name. Then why didn't that spirit come out when they used the same name? They had, oh, y'all are smart. Thank God, Daddy. You do listen. Hallelujah. Poco. Poquito. Yeah, I keep calling them Poco. <laughs> See, they were sinners. They were evil. Come on, somebody. They were lost men. They were not saved. They were not baptized in the name of Jesus. And so because they were not baptized in the name of Jesus, they had no authority to use the name of Jesus. Only those who are called by the name of Jesus have the authority to use the name of Jesus. And so when these imposters tried to use the name of Jesus because they had no authority to use the name of Jesus, they're lost men. That spirit jumped on them and tore them up, tore the clothes off. They went running out of the house naked. devil didn't know him. Be careful. You know, make sure you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in Jesus' name before you start trying to cast spirits out. If your life's full of sin and you're living in, you know, evil things, doing evil things, be careful. Just because you baptize, you know, I would say even just because you're baptized in Jesus' name doesn't mean you're always ready to use the name. He might jump on you, rip your clothes off, beat you up, man. And I'll tell you something about a demon-possessed person. They don't just have natural strength. They have supernatural strength. They can take you and throw you across the room. So, you know, when you start dealing with that kind of thing, get into deliverance, you better make sure, not only are you baptized, you just ain't filled with the Holy Ghost, but your life's where it needs to be. And I would say, pray and fast. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. <laughs> Next, next clue I'll give you is that they look at you and they say, Paul, we know, Jesus, we know, but who are you? Oh, uh, yeah, see you later. Okay? <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Pastor Carter, I'm in a, I'm in a fix here. <laughs> and then I'm going to call brother so and so. I'm in a fix, brother. Can you get over there and help brother? I need your help. <laughs> so we see the uh, the obstacle. It was an obstacle. Imposters are always an obstacle to the preaching of the gospel. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. They're always a hindrance to the preaching of the gospel. Overcome. Then the Bible tells us, let's go on. 
how many of y'all, in, you know, I want to wrap this up here, this part, but how many of y'all want to be known in heaven? You want to be saved? How many of you want to be known in hell? I heard about a missionary. I think if I remember correctly, it was E.L. Dross, I think is who it was. This is memory way back, okay? So I may be incorrect on this. I think it was E.L. Dross walked into a prison of a mission field. A prison house of a mission field. And when he did, there was a demonic spirit in a person in that prison and said, called out his name. If I remember correctly, it was Eodros. Eodros, they called out his name. They had never seen the man, never met the man physically, but the demon that was in him knew him. Yeah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? You go on a mission field, you've never even seen this person. They say, they call you by name. You know a spirit speaking through him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. This is real business, by the way. New, real New Testament Christianity is real stuff. This is real stuff. It's not a game. It's not being religious, coming, sitting on your pew, looking cute, you know. This is real. It's heavy warfare. Demonic spirits constantly coming against this church to close the doors of this church. How many of you know that? Okay. Yeah, we've had our share of all that. We've had our share of imposters. Praise God, but God gave us the victory over it. The way the victory was won over these imposters is you've got the genuine, real, you know, man of God there, Paul. And, and are y'all with me? The real servant of the Lord there. Okay, casting spirits out. Jump down. The Bible says in verse 17, These were known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Wow, isn't that awesome? So now we have that obstacle overcome. we got people full of fear now. They saw what happened to their buddies, these imposters, and they start magnifying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise in the house. They knew it wasn't these guys. They knew that their exorcism was a false thing. They knew. Are y'all with me? They knew the name of Jesus was real. It wasn't them. It was the name of Jesus. It wasn't them. It was the name of Jesus. They couldn't cast it out. Okay. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Man, revival's breaking out. What are they doing? They're believing. They're confessing. They're confessing their sin. They're, they're showing their deeds, right? Isn't that beautiful? In verse 19, many of them also which use curious arts, those Ephesian letters with incantations on them that they wore on their bodies to protect them. These books that had occult information in them. Y'all here today? The Bible says they brought their curious arts. This is occult things. They brought their books together and burned them before all. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mildly grew the Word of God and prevailed. I want you to catch this. It wasn't the pagans at Ephesus. 
that was bringing their arts, their, their curious arts and, and their, their occultic books. It wasn't them. It was the people in the church. It was the believer. When revival hit that world, the believers that were in that church said, we better get rid of that reading material we've been reading. We better get rid of those books we've been looking at. We better get rid of that occult stuff we've been playing with. We better get rid of those incantation letters. We're going to burn all of it. Let me tell you something. When revival hits the church of the living God, there's going to be people in the church they are going to bring those filthy books they've been reading and that occult stuff they've been playing around with, that horoscope they've been messing around with. They're going to bring it. They're going to say, let's burn this. I've been in revivals like that where God moved so powerfully that people in the church started bringing their stuff out of the closets that they had been praying with in secret and they burned those things in the name of Jesus you know you got a revival on your hands when the church people bring those books out of the closet and that stuff they've been playing around with that's occultic and, and demonic and say, I'm going to burn this stuff right now. They go get their old occultic music and burn it right there. They get those books and burn it. Listen, listen, I'm telling you, this wasn't the pagans that were doing it. This was the believers in the church that were still playing with this stuff. That was bringing it to burn it. Give the Lord praise in the house. Woo, glory to God. Glory to God. This church was a pure church. This church was a holy church. This church was so pure. He said, I'm getting rid of this stuff that I've been playing around this knot of God Almighty. That is a hindrance to revival. And they got rid of those obstacles and they burned them so there would be a pure church. Say a pure church. God wants a pure church. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I've been in situations where I remember one lady teaching a Bible study too. And uh, I discerned, you know, some spiritual things going on around her. and There were, you know, demonic things and I looked up there and I saw on her mantle an idol sitting there. And I said, you're going to repent of your sin, but we got to get rid of this idol here because I believe it's a holding point for demons. It's a holding point. It's a contact point for demons. He said, yeah, whatever we need to do. You know what we did? We walked out of her house with that idol in hand and burned it in her backyard. Give God praise in the house. We didn't tell her, you know, go put it in the garage sale, sell it to the next guy. No, 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 we burnt the thing. And one brother is not in here right now. I won't call him by name. Uh, when he first came to the church, he had some stuff from overseas that they, you know, looked like idols to me. You know what we did with them? We took him out in his backyard and played golf with him. <laughs> Knocked their head off. He's still in the church today. <laughs> Just tell him to go sell in the garage sale. Destroy the thing. You got stuff that, you know, books like this or occultic things in your life. You don't play around with it. You don't sell it to the next guy. You don't take that old feel, uh, occultic music and sell it. You know what I did with all my occultic music that I listened to when I, before I got in God? 
I went out in the backyard uh, by the dumpster and I crushed every tape I had. I'm not going to sell it to somebody else. That devil music. I stomped on it. Pure church. Say a pure church. You got DVDs? You know, you know what I'm talking to you this morning. You got some stuff. You need to clean house. You need to go into your cupboards. You need to clean house. And you need, don't sell them in your garage sale. Burn the things. Amen. Say amen. amen. Boy, it's quiet in here. What I'm trying to tell you is that these are things that the church people were still playing with. And when the Spirit started really moving in that church, they started in their own free will bringing these curious arts and these books, etc., and burning them to keep the church pure, to keep their lives pure. Give the Lord praise in the house. How many of y'all want a pure church, a revival church? The Bible tells us, isn't this beautiful? This is amazing, isn't it? So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. And after these things were ended, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And what he's doing at this point, he's going to send Timothy up to the coast to start taking up an offering for Jerusalem because he's got a plan to take the offering to Jerusalem. But not only that, and we'll pick that up later on, not only that at this time, he is planning on going to Rome because Rome is the center of the earth. All, you know what I'm saying, so to speak. All roads lead to Rome. And he said, we're having a revival like this in Ephesus. He said, I want to get in the heart of the world. I want to go into the heart of the Roman Empire. He said, I want to go to Rome. Say praise the Lord. That was in his mind. This revival wasn't enough for Paul. Paul wanted more. He couldn't get enough revival. This revival, you look at Ephesus, wow, this is powerful. This is a great revival. I'm going to stay right here. Paul said, no, I want to go and do this in Rome. I want to see this happen in Rome. Isn't that awesome? And about this time, not only that, not only is he dealing with these obstacles and they're being overcome, they're trying to shut the door of revival. He gets information from Corinth. Remember the 18th chapter, that's he established that church in Corinth in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. And, and while the revival's happening there in Ephesus, Chloe comes down from Corinth. And he says to Paul, he says, Paul, he said, there's divisions in the church. One claims to be a Paul, Apollos, Peter, and some Jesus. There's just divisions in the church. He said, they're acting like a bunch of uh, children fighting in the nursery. He said, there's immorality in the church of Corinth. He said, the kind of immorality that's in that church. He said, the pagans don't even do that. This kind of immorality. He said, it's a mess, Paul. All this division, all this immorality going on up there. And so this is another obstacle that hits Paul. Right in the midst of the revival, he gets this news from Chloe of, of all of these things happening in Corinth. 
Are y'all with me today? He wrote one letter to Corinth that we don't have. First Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 1, verse 5, talks about a letter. We don't even have it recorded. He wrote three letters to Corinth. We only have two of them. But he does put the first letter of Corinth, Corinthians in the hand of Titus when he gets the news. First Corinthians. Are y'all with me? While he's in Ephesus, that's where he, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, he says, a great door of effects was open to me, but there are many adversaries. So he sends this letter out from them. Uh, in the hand of, are y'all with me today? In the hand of Titus. Not only did Chloe, when he comes up there and says there's these problems in the church, divisions, etc. Uh, Chloe brings questions from the church, I'm assuming it's a response to the first letter, not the one we have recorded in the Bible. Okay, you understand what I'm trying to say? He wrote three. We have one that's not recorded. But anyway, to make a long story short, questions come from the church. Questions like, how do we keep communion? Because every time we get together, we have communion. we got some people getting drunk in the church. How do we keep communion? Was one of the questions. Another question was, should we get married since Jesus is coming back so soon? Another question in relationship to the gifts of the Spirit, how they should operate in the church. Are y'all with me today? Another question, is there going to be the resurrection of the dead? And so Paul, when he writes 1 Corinthians and puts it in the hands of Titus, not only does he send that letter to correct the immorality and the division in the church, but he has to answer the questions that they have asked. So when you read 1 Corinthians, you are reading Paul's answer to their questions. And this is all happening while he's having revival in Ephesus. Okay? So he puts the letter in the hand of Titus and sends him off right here at this point in Ephesus. And he says, Titus, I'll meet you in Troas. Watch this. I want you to catch this. Please listen. Titus, I'm going to send you with this letter because if I go, they're going to regret it and so will I. He said, because if I go right now, he said, I'm bringing a rod. Are y'all with me? Hear me. He had already told him he was coming. But he changed his mind about coming and put the letter in Titus's hand and sent Titus and didn't go himself. Now hold on to that just a minute. The reason why he didn't go himself at that time and sent Titus is because when he gets there, he'll knock their blocks off. And he knows if he goes into that situation, they're going to regret him going. And he's going to regret going too. Because of the way he'd have to deal with them. Are y'all here? So he puts it in the... Having already said he was going to go, he puts that letter in the hands of Titus and sends him off with the letter and says, Titus, I'll meet you in Troas. Now keep that in the back of your mind. Okay? 
Paul is worried half to death, if you will. Pardon my figure of speech. But he is scared. He doesn't know what's going to happen to the church in Corinth. That church in Corinth, as far as he knows, is going to fall completely apart. It's a mess. And he, he knows if he goes himself, it's not going to be good. If he steps in there himself. So he says, here, take this letter. I'm praying to God. It'll fix the mess. And I'll meet you in Troas in the future. Keep that in mind. And that's all happening right here. So he's got to deal with this obstacle that's in Corinth. And the Bible goes on and tells us, say amen. amen. Deal with that obstacle. Try to fix it. Try to help them understand the truth. Get the mess straightened out there. The hands of Titus. So the Bible goes on. Now this you'll find this in 1 Corinthians, by the way. But Paul wanted to go to Rome in verse 22. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So now we have Timothy going up the coastline to gather an offering for Jerusalem. We have Titus going over to Corinth with a letter in hand to try to fix the mess in Corinth. Paul stays in Ephesus. Are y'all here? Then all of a sudden, next obstacle. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Whom when he had called together with the workmen of like occupation, said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Next obstacle, religious fanatics. Along with Craftsman of Ephesus. Once a year in the month of May, May Day, all of Asia, all of Asia figuratively speaking, would make their way from where they lived down to the city of Ephesus to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. That temple was so magnificent. It was burned when Alexander the Great was born. It was burned with fire. And they began to work on that temple of Diana that had been burned at his birth. And by the time he became a man, they were still working on the temple. There were 127 huge pillars that the greatest craftsmen of the world wanted to be one of those craftsmen that put one of those pillars in that temple. 127 of them. Some of the greatest sculptures of the world put their sculptures in that, that temple of Diana. Paintings all over the place. And in the back of this place called the temple of Diana, there was a shrine. 
And this shrine was the location of the idol Diana. This is not the Diana of, of the Greeks or the Diana of Rome, which was a beautiful woman. This Diana of the Ephesians was grotesque. She was beast-like in her look. She was ugly. The bottom of her uh, I, uh, uh, image uh, was wrapped like a mummy. And then when you looked at her, the top of her, she had row after row after row of breast uh, declaring the uh, productivity of nature. She was grotesque. She was ugly. They claimed that she dropped down from heaven. And they set this grotesque idol of Diana up in the, the shrine there and made a bank out of it so that people who had money deposited their money back behind the idol Diana to protect their money. And once a year in the month of May, People from all over the world gathered there in Ephesus and the craftsmen built the little duplicate temples of Diana. Little shrines of the temple of Diana. Little shrines of Diana. Icons. And put those incantations on her and on the temple. And they would sell this in the month of May in May Day. All kinds of craftsmen, woodworkers, coppersmiths, silversmiths, costume designers. You know, it's sort of like a Mardi Gras kind of a thing. Fat Tuesday. And they would go in the month of May and they would buy all of these shrines and all of these souvenirs of the temple and Diana. And this was what Demetrius here was so upset is because he was cutting into their business. This revival was cutting into their business. They weren't able to, to sell these little shrines of Diana and the shrines of the temple anymore. They were losing money. And they said, not only that, but here's the big problem. This is what they say. The big problem is that Paul is bringing a slur on Diana, this great goddess that we worship. He's speaking against her. Her magnificence is despised and she should be destroyed. Verse 27, if this continues, and all Asia and the world worshipeth this Diana. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. They started screaming out, Great is Diana the Ephesians. So the obstacle of the craftsmen, their business. Oh, are you hearing me right now? Let me tell you something. There's sometimes people when the gospel's preached, they start losing money. It affects their business. And because it affects their pocketbook, they rise up against the church. Hear me today. And we have these fanatic religious people here rising up against the church. Say, it's Paul. Paul's the one. He's the one that's causing this problem. And so the people get stirred up. They get into a frenzy. It's now obstacle. The next obstacle is a frenzy in the mob. Just a mob frenzy. They just begin to go crazy. Just go wild. Like a wild mob. I'm sure you've seen some of these things that happen over in Europe. Just mob craze. That's what happens here. 
The Bible said in the whole city, verse 29, was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. This theater, the amphitheater, you can still see it today. You can study it. I haven't ever seen it, but you can study it today. This theater was so large, it seated 30,000 people. It was like a, a huge football stadium in our culture today. They gathered this huge crowd, this huge mob in a frenzy and frantic, grabbed some of the disciples of Paul and rushed them into the theater. you got close to 30,000 people here gathered. And Paul, verse 30, can you imagine this crazed mob? He wants to go out there and preach to them. He wants to go speak the Word of God to them. If he does, they're going to rip him limb from limb. They're going to tear him in pieces, man. That's Paul. He wasn't afraid of anything. Verse 30, When Paul would have entered into the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, the chief of Asia, even his friends in Asia, I don't know if they were believers or not, but they were the chief of Asia. These Asiarchs, who are these chief of Asia? Who are these friends of Paul? Some people believe that they were the officials of the Olympic Games. The Bible doesn't preach or speak against sports. Just the worship of them. And these leaders of Asia are gathered there. They're going to help Paul. They're going to encourage Don't go in there, Paul. Don't do it, Paul. They're going to tear you to pieces if you do. How you hear? He had friends in high places. The Bible goes on, and it tells us, verse thirty-one: and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater, that amphitheater. Some therefore cried one thing and another, some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not whither wherefore they came together. They're just it's just a frenzy, man. They're just going crazy. They just get, some of them just get caught up in the crowd. They don't even know what they're there. They just. It's going bananas with the rest of the bananas, you know, and they don't even know why. That's the truth. Just a mob, just a crazy mob of people. I know what was behind it. It was the devil. They didn't know. There's the devil, the prince of the power of the air, the invisible enemy behind this. This whole thing, all of it, this was all satanic worship. I got a question for you. When was the last time you preached in such a way that you 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 started a riot? Everybody went into a, pre, a mad craze. They're going to try to kill you. When was the last time you ever preached like that? I've I've never preached like that. Well, everybody in the church just went in a mad craze and wanted to kill me. Paul preached like that. That whole that revival that took place at the whole close to thirty thousand people into a mad craze. Maybe we ought to have the mentality of the Apostle Paul: riot or revival. We're going to have a riot, or we're going to have a revival. See, most of us try to be so smooth, we don't stir anybody up. We don't want anybody to be mad. Friend, that early church, it was riot or it was revival. 
Jesus brought a true revolution that changed the world. I sure are quiet out there. Did I, did I offend you? Oh, okay, good. Just going to make that clear. You're not offended. Man, I'm trying though. I want to make you mad. No, not really. Come on, come on, man. I either want to get you in here and get you on fire, get you full of, you know, get a revival in here. I want to make you as mad as I can. I'd rather have you move in revival. If I can't get you in revival, I want to make you as mad as I can. I just want a response. Some kind of response. I'd rather have revival, but if I can't have revival, I want a response. If I make you mad, at least I've got a response. Hallelujah. Did you have church today? Yeah, we had a riot. I wanted revival, but they didn't want to do revival, so we had a riot. At least we had a response. Verse 33, they drew Alexander out of the multitude of the Jews, putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with a hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Can you imagine that standing there for two hours straight, just shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Chanting that, chanting that, sending that praise up to that false goddess. Worshipping that way for two solid hours. Come on, somebody. When was the last time we came to church and said, Great is Jesus Christ. Great is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we stood there for two hours praising the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two hours straight praising a false goddess. Grotesque, ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life. Great is the goddess Diana. How many of you today are full of fire for God? you got a passion for God. They had a passion for Diana. We ought to have a greater passion for Jesus Christ. They worshipped a false goddess. But at least they had a passion for what they worshipped. Jesus Christ is the true and living God that died on the cross to save our soul. What, a, what about our passion for Him? Praise the Lord. Two hours. Can you imagine 30, 25, 30,000 people? Maybe more. Shouting great is the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. Over and over and over. For two solid hours. Can you imagine that? And the spirits in a frenzy. Demonic powers feeding off of that. Being strengthened by that. Launching their attack against the gospel to close the doors. The adversary. Trying its best to close the doors. It was the devil behind it. Trying to close the doors. 
Paul said, a great door of effectual is open unto me, but there are many adversaries. When the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesus is the worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing that these things cannot be spoken against you, ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, uh, <clears throat> rashly. For you have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open and there is there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. This is one thing the Romans would not tolerate. The Romans would not tolerate an outburst like this. He says something wrong has been done, bring it to the law. Let's get it straightened out. But this mad craze, this mad fanaticism, uh, he had to stop it. Or the Roman Empire come in and stop it themselves. <clears throat> And so, these are the adversaries the Apostle Paul had to face. But he said, there's a great door of effectual that's open unto me. God has given me a door that's open to preach the gospel. And God is opening the hearts of people to hear the gospel. Doors that were shut to Paul before are now open to Paul. And people's hearts are hearing the gospel now. They're ready. They were ripe for revival. So that all of Asia heard the word of God. The Apostle Paul leaves from there. He goes up into Macedonia. He leaves Asia, goes to Europe, travels from Ephesus. Remember he had made plans with Titus to meet Titus after Titus took that first letter. He told Titus, you'll get this in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, to meet him in Troas. He leaves Ephesus, he goes to Troas. At that moment, if you'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll see how discouraged he was. Even though this great revival had taken place, he's so discouraged because of the church situation in Corinth. He thinks that thing's going to fall completely apart. He doesn't know. So he sent the letter to get it all straightened out, to get the mess straightened out. He's waiting there in Troas. He told Titus to meet him in Troas, and Titus doesn't show up. Where's Titus? What happened to the church in Corinth? What did they do with that first letter? How did they respond to it? Paul didn't know. He moves from there, from Troas. He goes over into Macedonia into Philippi. That's a good place to go because remember, that's where Luke is. They left Luke in Philippi. So he joins his buddy there in Philippi. And all of a sudden, while he's there in Philippi, he looks up and he sees Titus walking down the road. Titus says, Paul, I delivered the letter like you told me to and got some good news. He said, the mess is straightened out. He said, now you can go. Now you can go. They, they listened to the letter and they got it straight. 
But Paul, I got, we got some bad news for you too. Titus says, I got to share some bad news with you. He said, you remember those old long blue robe Pharisees? The ones that followed you all the way through Galatia and those Jesus slash Moses believers? Those Pharisee believers that walked into Galatia and said that the Gentiles need to be circumcised after the manner of Moses and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Remember those guys, Paul? Paul, they made it to Corinth. And Paul, when they got there, the first thing they did was try to discredit you. The first thing they did was focus in on the fact that you said you were going to come and you didn't come. You sent Titus instead. And if here's the deal. Here's the thought that they were trying to convey. Paul, or if Paul was a true apostle, why can't he make a decision? He said he was going to come and he didn't come. He sent Titus anyway. Paul, basically their, their inference that they were trying to bring to the church of Corinth is Paul doesn't know if he's coming or if he's going. How can he be an apostle? And Paul writes back and he says, Our yes is Jesus Christ. And by the way, you see, this is always the trick of the enemy. To discredit the man so they wouldn't listen to what he said. So these Pharisee believers tried to discredit the character of Paul they know if they can speak against the character of Paul, the church won't listen to Paul. He's not a true apostle. He don't know if he's coming or going. He told you he was coming, but he sent Titus instead. Our yes is Jesus Christ. And not only that, but you know that offering that Paul, he sent Timothy and Erastus up the coast there to gather an offering for Jerusalem. So he says... He's really, the insinuation was, he's really planning on putting that money in his pocket. Second Corinthians addresses our yes is Jesus Christ. And Second Corinthians says, I assure you, I will deliver the offering to Jerusalem. Paul claims he had a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. But really, he just had a spasm. He really didn't see Jesus Christ. And, and the message he's preaching is really, really not the truth. That was their insinuation. Paul... Go to 2 Corinthians real fast as I come to a close. Paul says, you want my credentials? He said, I'll give you my credentials. 
He said, they, they're out there insinuating that I'm not a true apostle. He said, I'll give you my credentials. He said, I'm going to speak as a fool to do it. He said, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now watch this. I want you to catch this. Second Corinthians 11. Let's just go there and look at it. What I'm trying to show you is that after Titus brought that good news and bad news to Paul, he wrote Second Corinthians from Macedonia and sent it back to the Corinthian church. And he's working through these issues, these accusations of these false ones. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. He said, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed, bear with me. He said, basically, this way he says, he comes across, he says, he says, he says, I would that you could bear with me in my folly. Oh, you are bearing with me. Oh, no, you are putting up with me. That's the point. You get it? So I would that you would bear with me a little in my folly. Oh, kind of like, oh, I forgot. You are putting up with me. Sarcasm. You catch it? Oh, we just got to put up with Paul. We just got to bear with Paul. Paul says, I know the way you feel. He says, you feel like you're just putting up with me. Watch this. Sarcasm. He said, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealous, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through this, his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye have received another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with. For I suppose I was not a wit behind the chiefest of apostles. He said, these ones that have come into your church, he said, they're false. Amen. They're false ones. Amen. They disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. He says, they brought doubt concerning his apostleship. He said, For I suppose I was not at wit behind the chiefest of apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense and abasing myself that you might be exalted because I have preached unto you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do your service. He refused to take an offering from them because of their mindset that he was in it for the money. And when he refused to take that offering, they got offended by that. And he said, I've robbed other churches to serve you. Watch. And when I was present with you and wanted, I charged, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. 
And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you. And so will I keep myself. Remember Corinth, he's over there working with his hands, a tent maker, with a cooler Priscilla's sweat and trying to make a living for himself and those that were with him. And he needed the help at the time, but he didn't go to that Corinthian church and ask them. He knew their attitude toward him. The church of Philippi brought him an offering. We've already covered that. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. <clears throat> this is Corinth. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. <clears throat> For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. No marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. He said, I'm gonna, he said, I'm fixing to give you my credentials. You want him? He said, I'm fixing to give him to you. He said, but when I give him to you, he said, I'm going to speak as a fool when I do it. For him to take the position of defending his apostleship, put him in a position, he said, of making himself a fool to talk about the credentials of the apostle. You want him? He said, I'll give him to you. Here they are. He said, for you suffer fools gladly. Alright, I'll come across to you as a fool then. He said, you suffer fools gladly. Seeing you yourself are wise. Sarcastic. You're wise. I'm a fool, but you're wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. Did you take all that? I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they, here it goes, the credentials. Are they Hebrews? These false ones that have come to you? Discrediting his apostleship? Saying if he were a true apostle, he would have came when he said he was going to come? Accusing him of taking that offering for himself. Come on, hear me today, church. All right, I'll give you you credentials. I'll be a fool when I give them to you. Hebrew the Hebrews. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received our forty stripes, save one. Five times. 
Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And now today I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils by my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily. The care of all the churches you can hear in his voice he is totally exhausted and he said if you need credentials he said here they are I speak as a fool to even have to give them to you they were his sons he established that church for him to stand up and to have to prove his credentials as a man of God for him to talk about himself his desire was to talk about Jesus Christ, not himself. Watch this. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, evermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Eretus, the king, kept the city of Damascus with a garrison and desires to apprehend me. And through a window in the basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. And he goes on, and I don't have time to read the whole chapter to you. But he goes on, and Paul begins to look at those men, those long blue-robed Pharisees, believers in Jesus Christ, but we're trying to mix the law of Moses with it for salvation. Paul says, there are thorns in the flesh. He said, I besought God three times to take that thorn of the flesh out of me. He said, I'm so weak. I can't do anything about them. I can't stop them. Basically, Paul said, I'm weak. I can't do anything about it. And when I ask God to remove these thorns, these men that follow me wherever I go, God wouldn't take them away. He wouldn't remove the thorn in the flesh. And so, watch what he says. Are y'all awake tonight? Today? Verse 6, he says of 2 Corinthians 12, For though I would desire to glory, I shall be as a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I'll forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. He's talking about a man being caught up in the third heaven. He said, I could tell you something else that's happened. I believe that man was caught up in the third of heaven, caught up in the third heaven that saw things that was un unspeakable things. I believe that man was Paul. When he was stoned to death at Lystra, I believe that's when God took his spirit and he walked the streets of gold in the heavenly city. In that 12th chapter, he said, I knew a man. He was caught up in the third heaven. He was caught up to paradise. I believe that man was Paul. He saw unspeakable things. He didn't say it was him because he didn't want people to start glorifying him. 
Verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He said, I see what this is all about. These men, these false ones, following me from city to city, seeking to put a slur on my character, etc. He said, I see it. It's a messenger of Satan. And it's come, lest I be exalted above measure, because the revelation he had received. He said, I, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, and it might be departed from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. It's weakness. I can't do anything about it. I can't stop these men from following me around. He said, now I see. He said that God left them in my life so I wouldn't be exalted. I wouldn't be lifted up in pride. So Paul would walk around with a big head saying, look what I did. Look at Ephesus. Look at Galatia. Look at Corinth. So he wouldn't walk around with a big head full of pride saying, I did it! God let those Men in his life, thorns in the flesh. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet him to keep him from being lifted up in pride. He was so weak and he was so tired. He was so exhausted in dealing with them. What did God say? He said, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, verse 9, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. I'm become a, a fool in glorying. You've compelled me. For I have ought, I have ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefs of the apostles, though I be nothing. You see how he feels? Yes, sir. He have to stand up there and, and give them his credentials and defend his ministry. He said, you should have commended me. He said, I know the reason behind it. I know why God let these men infiltrate into your church bring doubt on this ministry. I see through it these false ones, these messengers of Satan. God used that to keep me humble. God used it to keep me weak. God used it from uh, so I wouldn't get a big head and full of pride and say, I did it. God used it so I keep depending on Him. Keep going to Him for the strength He needed. To keep preaching the gospel. And always give glory to Jesus Christ. And so Paul puts that letter in the hands of Titus, 2 Corinthians, and sends him off to Corinth. And, uh, well, they're in Macedonia, from Macedonia. And then later on, Paul show up. He'll go see him. In the future, he'll go see him. Message straightened out then. 
Praise the Lord. But I tell you what, when he was waiting for, for Titus over there in Troas and Titus didn't show up, he didn't know what the results were. Titus showed up and said, I got good, good news and bad news for you. The mess is straightened out. But those long blue folk Pharisees, they made their way into the church. You see that. Isn't that a beautiful story? Amen. A great door of affection is open unto me, said Paul, but there are many adversaries. He said, I'm going to tear here in Ephesus until Pentecost. I'm going to wait here. A great door, I'm going to tear here in Pentecost. A great door of affection is open unto me, but there are many adversaries standing there trying to close the door. It wasn't the adversaries there in Ephesus trying to shut the door to the gospel. Is that problem in Corinth? And then after that, you know, ongoing. But if you look at it, and I close, he wrote the book of Romans and the book of Ephesus when he went, when he finally made it to Corinth. And you read the book of Romans. And even though he was weak, and even though he had all those battles, he said, you could see the power and the signs of God in this ministry. He wrote that in the book of Romans from Corinth. And he wrote the book of Ephesus from Corinth. And he talked about the vocation of the church right out of Corinth. Powerful, powerful ministry that came. Amen. Please stand. Father, we give you praise today and I pray for this church. 